Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Tennis Fanalyst Podcast. I'm Marcus Alley. Joining me as always is Michael Gillett and he's been delighted by seeing the return of ATP 500 tennis this week on the tour. Sure, yeah. Rotterdam, a tournament that I, I always enjoy. Uh, despite actually having a, a very busy week, I've been able to watch uh, quite a bit of Rotterdam uh, and it hasn't failed to uh, impress me, as always. Uh, some really good matches that I've seen so far, including so far the one that we have our eyes on right now, uh, Borna Koric against Kane Ishikori. So yeah, as Michael alludes to, it has been very good to see the return of 500 tournament tennis this week. And, um, you know, me, myself and Michael, definitely people that enjoy the unpredictability and, and lesser known players that get to stake their claim on the 250 circuit. But Rotterdam definitely has been very interesting. We'll get to Buenos Aires later in the pod, but we are going to start in Holland. And just to kick off our little verdict on this tournament I think we've got to start at the one semi-final that is set in stone and that is between top 10 players and Andre Rublev and Stefanos Tsitsipas. Tsitsipas here's an interesting stat for you in his last four wins he has won the final set and clinched the match 7-5 which you'd, you'd have to say seems quite uh, random and nothing that you could really read into. But having watched his last two matches being final set victories over Hubert Herkash and Karen Hatchinov, who both put in excellent displays, he really did seem to gather pace once it got to 5 all. I mean, obviously, given the scoreline, I'm going to say that, but he definitely does seem like a player that maybe can run on empty a little bit better than some of these other players. He did it, of course, against Nadal in, in the fifth set at the Australian Open. So... It really has been some entertaining tennis from Sitsipas so far this week. He's got a positive 4-3 head-to-head record against Rublev. And this definitely has to be the most entertaining match of the week that we've we've had so far. And we could possibly have at all with, uh, well, four lesser-ranked players in the other half of the draw. How are you feeling about it as a matchup? Yeah, just looking at the uh, previous matchups they've had, it looks like it could be really exciting. Only one of their uh, seven matches has been in straight sets. Uh, that coming at Roland Garros uh, last year uh, in favour of Sitsipas. Obviously, I think being on the clay court, we can maybe kind of expect that. But I think we could definitely see this one go in the distance as well. Um, I caught the end of Sitsipas's match uh, against... Caught the end uh, of his match today against Karen Hatchinoff, uh, who is a player who really has impressed this week. Um, he's a really, really strong indoor court player. Whether he's sort of in form or not, you you always really expect him to get the results on, on the indoor court. I think uh, three out of his four titles I heard in the week have come indoors and he uh, blew the field away at the Paris Masters uh, just a couple of years ago. For Sitsipas to get through that match against uh, Hatchinoff in the style that he did um, was really impressive, winning it in, in the third set. Uh, Rublev also uh, has, has looked good this week. Um, was actually given a tough match against Andy Murray, who I, I'm sure will come on to talk about in a sec. But, um, you know, Murray did look good in that match. Uh, a little slow start against Robin Harsay in the match before, but... I think to any player on any day, Andy Murray is going to still pose a threat, even 
a player like Djokovic, you know, Andy Murray is not going to be an easy win, I don't think. Um, and, and Rublev got for it very well. He's been one of the most impressive players uh, at best of three sets uh, in, in the last couple of years, you know, especially probably outside of, um, you know, Djokovic, Nadal. I, I'd maybe argue possibly team as well, but I'd maybe argue Rublev has been the most impressive player in the best of three sets format obviously he's just got to kind of come on a little bit in in the grand slam uh, in the grand slam tournament so yeah i think this is a a really really enticing match uh, as i say i think it will go to a third set i i backed rublev to win the tournament at the beginning more because i thought he had a better run to the final than the medvedev obviously medvedev went out in the first round uh, for the second consecutive year actually he lost in the first round of rotterdam last year and I believe he could have been the number one seed then as well um but yeah I, I'm gonna go for Rublev in three for this one um but I think stylistically it makes for a really really promising match and uh it, it's one that although I'm going with Rublev I, I think it could really be a flip of a coin it, it's such a hard one to call this one for me Sitsipas is, is playing slightly better tennis at the moment I think but, but also, I think you have to look into the, the amount they've spent on court. You know, Sitsipas, almost three hours today. Well, two hours, 42. So, you know, we're, we're almost at three hours there against Hatchinov. And it was a real bruising match against her cash as well. So despite me feeling that he's in a little bit better touch at the moment, that's got to have taken something out of him. And although Rublev got pushed by Jeremy Shardy, it's definitely not as much of a physical match as the other two players that the Greeks played um, you know, that, that he's had to deal with. So I am still going to go for Sitsipas, but I think uh, he'll lose the set. So I'm going to go Sitsipas in three. I do think he looks the, be the best player in the tournament at the moment. Uh, obviously dropping the first set and having to come from behind against uh, Herkash and, and Hatchinov, I believe. Actually, I could be incorrect there. I think the Polish player might have won the, the second set in that. It leads me on to another little thought that I've been having that it's been quite a slow hardcore I think that's something that I definitely need to learn a little bit more about across the tour um, because it can quite make quite a big difference and I think we've seen some players that find uh, more comfort on the clay surfaces do quite well in Rotterdam you look at Martin Fucevic the form that he's showed he, his uh, only ATP tour titles has come on a clay court and obviously sits a pass and Lajevic getting that one win against Daniil Medvedev I'm not sure whether we can read too much into it but I think you know, that, that definitely has helped those types of players. Um, so moving into another match that hasn't happened yet, but possibly will, will be underway by the time this, this podcast is published. And that's Tommy Paul against Martin Fucevic. Fucevic, a qualifier, of course. So this is going to be his fifth match of the tournament. He's done really well to come through Riley Opelka and Alejandro Davidovic Fokina already in the tournament. Um, that's after coming a few through the challenges of Rindernek and Pierre Huguez Hebert, the French players in qualifying, which is not to be sniffed at. They're both decent players to come up against in qualifying. He plays Tommy Paul, the 23-year-old, who's actually going to enter the top 50 for the first time next week. So good progress for the American. He's beat Lorenzo Sonigo and Alexander Bublik this week, two players higher ranked than him and who, yeah, were favourites going into the match against him. So... Without necessarily giving given, uh, your prediction for this match, Michael, as um, you know, I'm worried this might be finished by the time the listeners uh, get the chance to take it in. But what's what's been your verdict on, on these two players showing some excellent form in Rotterdam? 
Well, just on the topic of predictions, as you say, I won't give a prediction for this match, but uh, the listeners might remember me tipping Fuksovic to get to the semi-final. was seen as a, a bit of an outside shot, but uh, looks like I make him favourite against Paul tonight. Obviously, as you say, the listeners have probably seen the result um, before they're listening to this one, so I could be setting myself up to look a bit silly here. Um, but, you know, though, though he has only won his one title on a clay court, as you said in your last piece, I, I have always rated him on a hard court. Um, he had that really good win against uh, Stan Ravrinka at the Australian Open. Um, I've seen him play on hard court a few times, I think indoor as well. And, and I do think he's he's really built for it. He's one of the, uh, he's a real physical specimen. Um, I, I, I don't know his height, but, um, you know, you only have to really look at him and, he, tennis players do tend to be quite tall, but he he does tend to look sort of physically uh, better than the rest of them and 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 taller, but than a lot of them, I mean. So um, I think this style does really suit him, uh, and the fact that the pace is off it a little bit, maybe it is his perfect style in a sense that it has the speed of a clay court, but it's a hard court um, as well because I I do think he has strengths across both. Um, Tommy Paul was really impressive. Last year, um, a player who sort of perhaps would have risen up the rankings a lot more, providing that um, the ranking system hadn't changed slightly due to the COVID situation. I was very impressed with his straight sets win against Lorenzo Senego, uh, who was the man who absolutely smashed Novak Djokovic on an indoor court at the back end of last year. Uh, and then coming through against Alexander Bublik is, is a very impressive win as well, having made the final... Um, of, I think, Singapore last week. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is an interesting match. I think they've both had really good weeks. Um, I, I do, just sort of looking at the draw, and I know you'll come on to the, the other um, quarterfinal that's, that's ongoing at the moment, but, you know, looking at the draw, it's very hard to see a winner coming from the top half. Um, Paul and Futsovitz. Uh, with the greatest respect to both of them, it is definitely the, the more inferior quarterfinal um, out of the four of them. And, and, and whoever gets through against it, Spass and Rublev will be favourite for the final. But um, yeah, it's a great opportunity for these two. I, I assume that neither of them have been in a 500 semi-final before. Um, so yeah, really, really, really impressive from, from both of them. And I think this match also has the potential to go to three sets. It'll definitely be an interesting one. I think Fuchovic has definitely been the player that's looked the better throughout the tournament. Tommy Paul came through the public match in, in three sets and he lost that first set in a tie break, but he really wasn't hitting his strap. So he looked quite lacklustre. And then somehow, I'm not sure what he did, but a, a case of mentally just re-engaging for that second set and he, and he won it quite comfortably and then obviously went on to win the match. With the... The other quarterfinal that, of course, as you mentioned, is ongoing. I'd like to mainly just ask you about Kei Corey and maybe what you think the ceiling is for him now. Of course, the former US Open sem um, finalist, now at 31 years old, 45 in the rankings. He's beaten two excellent up-and-coming players in Felix Auger-Aliassime and Alex Dimonor this week. Um, whether or not he gets through this match against Koric outside of, of Rotterdam, if he can stay fit, what, where do you see him really landing this year for me it's going to be quite tough for him to get anywhere near that top 10 again but having said that it's been very um exciting to see to see this form from him this week 
Yeah, I've been really, really impressed with Kanish Corey um, this week. I think um, it's interesting because I feel like with players that have got to the sort of the highs of Nishikori, I mean, they're a Grand Slam finalist, let's not forget. Um, and, you know, won Masters titles um, and, and really being in there, there, there was a time when I thought that Nishikori was probably the next one out of the big three to win a slam. And it's a shame that um, he didn't. But what I find interesting about this is so much time has passed now, but I feel I just about got to the stage with Nishikori where I'd stopped sort of asking, is he going to come back? You know, with players that are there and then they go down because of injury or whatever, you're always asking the question, are we going to see them come back into the top 15, 10 or whatever? Um, but I feel like that passed with Nishikori a while ago. I think I was pretty comfortable in that he was just going to sort of be a, a sort of 40, 50, 60 ranked player who was just sort of going to be solid throughout the year um, and could test someone on their day. But th this week, uh, he really has surprised me. I, I wouldn't have expected for a second for him to beat Auger-Alias team. Uh, did it quite comfortably as well, um, winning the second set six love. Uh, I mean, Alex D. Manure in, in the next round is a really impressive win as well, obviously being pushed a little bit harder in that match. Um, but, you know, losing the second set 6-2 and still being able to recover from that is, is really impressive that he's still got uh, that, that, that mental edge to do it. And, and just watching him now, I mean, his, his timing looks really, really good. Um, he looks very confident. He, he doesn't look like a player... Because quite often when you see players who have been at that height and, and they're not, no longer you see them getting quite frustrated on court, looking sort of, uh, you know, stressed out with themselves when they're making these errors that they wouldn't have made five years ago. But Nishikori doesn't know that. He looks quite happy and content on court. And I think you asked me what I think he could do this year. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to get carried away with, with this week. He could quite easily lose this match. It's 5-4 uh, on servers as we're speaking, and Koric is a, a very good player, especially on with these conditions. Um, but I, I, I'd like to think Nishikori could get into the top 30 again. Maybe that'll be a good goal for him. I, I think it's a, maybe a bit of an ask. I don't know if he'll do it. Uh, 31 years of, old, of age now, which kind of surprises me. I still think he'd probably be late 20s. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, he just needs to, <clears throat> he needs to just be consistent. He's, um, on quite a bad run prior to this week, just looking at it. Um, you know, back end of last year, losses to to Christian Garin, Chevalier, uh, Medvedev, Schwartzman, Kareno Buster at the Australian Open. Uh, he, he only won one match in seven before this uh, tournament. Um, but yeah, no, really, really good to, to see him playing. I mean, it is conditions that he likes. He, he is good on a hard court. Um, I remember that match when he beat Andy Murray at the US Open back in... I don't know if that was the year he got to the final. That was 2014. He got to the final. It might have been just a little bit after that. But, um, you know, fantastic at the US Open. And, and it would be nice to see him challenging the big players in those sorts of matches again. Yeah, certainly. For, for me, um, I think it will be a very special event for him to play the Olympics in, in Tokyo as a home favourite. So, I think most of this year he'll probably be trying to make sure he's in the best shape possible to to do himself justice in that tournament. But moving on to some other players, and although we, we spoke before about Tommy Paul getting the better of Alexander Bublik, it is important to note that he beat Sasha Zverev in the first round, which is a very impressive win, backing up that final appearance in Singapore last week. 
Um, he's at a career high of 43 as well, public. So he's continuing his progress nicely, nice and nice and steady. You know, he hasn't won a tour title or anything like that yet. And obviously went out in the second round here, but definitely a player we can continue to keep an eye on and get excited about as the year progresses. Um, another player, a bit of a throwback, Jeremy Shardy, 64 in the world and 34 years old, who I was interested to see today has only actually reached three ATP tour finals and won just the one title. I thought over such a consistent career, he might've been able to do a little better than that. Having said that, you know, he really has been a joy to watch over the years. Um, he won four matches in Rotterdam, two in qualifying against um, 24 and 25 year old players in Greek Spore and Antoine Huang, and then also beat Ugo and Bear, which was very impressive in the first round. And then David Goffin, the champion from Montpellier, uh, before going out to Rublev today in three sets, which was, you know, an, an excellent showing from the Frenchman. But just two players that I know you definitely want to talk about, Michael. And I, th- I feel like this player is, is, is a player that you rate probably more than me. And I think I'm having to eat a bit of humble pie on Dusan Lajevic on a hard court. Um, he is a player that I do have maybe cornerstoned a, a little bit too much as a, as a clay court specialist, but, you know, he's gone and beaten one of the best hard court players in the world in Daniil Medvedev in the first round. Um, I know you watched the match. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, I was very impressed with him. Um, the, my main take from it was that Medvedev was nowhere near what we'd seen at the Australian Open, which... I suppose we can expect with it being a, a much smaller tournament, you know, he's not, no player, I think I think you'd be a little bit disappointed if you see a player playing, putting more passion and, and more effort into a 500 tournament than a Grand Slam. But um, whether it's a cause for concern, I'm not sure. Um, I think Medvedev is very mentally strong. But, um, you know, it's not a terrible loss. Lajevic is a great player and I thought he played, he played a very good match. He's not the tallest of players. He's... Um, I'm not sure what his, what his height is, but he's definitely one of the smaller ones on tour. Um, but well-built, you know, you look at him and he's got quite a strong presence on the court, hits the ball very hard, which I think is why uh, he likes playing on the indoor court. And to be honest, I even though it wasn't a complete thrashing, I kind of just felt like when I started watching this match, it just kind of had the feeling the whole way through that it was going to be Lajevic's match. And I think as, as poor as that is, on Zverev's part, you know, a player of that number one seed, you shouldn't be feeling 10, ma- 10 minutes into the game that that's going to be the case. But, um, you know, that Lajevic just did play a, re- a really fantastic match. And um, I was a little bit surprised to see him go out to Borna Charich after that. I, d- I did think um, he was going to be the favourite to, to win that match. I'm not sure if he was the favourite in terms of sort of the the odds and that. But, um, you know, but I, watching it now, Courage is playing a very good match against... Nishikori, but I think, yeah, Lajovic will be very pleased. Um, I think he, yeah, uh, I, I think he's a great player uh, on, on a hard court as well as Clay. And um, I, I don't think we've seen sort of the heights of, of Lajovic. I think he can maybe push, I'm not sure what his highest ranking is to hand. I would guess it's around sort of the, the 30s, maybe, his highest ranking. Um but I, I would think he can progress on that if he plays like he did against uh, Daniel Medvedev um, the other day. I mean, he could get to it. But um, yeah, I think as a whole, uh, my main take from it was it was a little bit disappointing from Medvedev. I don't know if you want to say anything on Medvedev, but um, considering the the brilliant week that he had, uh, two weeks he had in Australia, 
uh, on that 20 match unbeaten streak. He then played a final against Djokovic, where, and, and obviously it's Djokovic, isn't it? You don't want to take too much away from him. But, uh, you know, Medvedev wasn't in the match at all. And, and now you've seen him come up against Djokovic's compatriot, uh, you know, but, but nowhere near the player that Djokovic is. And, and he just just didn't really look at it at all. And I'm, I'm, I'm just maybe a little bit worried now that we're going to see Medvedev with the clay court season coming up as well. And, and Medvedev has a terrible clay court record. He's never won a match at the French Open. Uh, an awful statistic. Um, are we a little bit worried for Medvedev over the next couple of months with the clay court season coming up? Are we, are we maybe going to have to wait until the end of the year again to, to see him hitting where he was? I'm not too worried. I mean, obviously, we don't want this losing streak to go on um, any longer, to be honest. I think he can have the best clay court season of his career. That that wouldn't be saying much, but, you know, I expect him to do that. And I also expect him to be in good shape for the grass court season. I don't think we've seen too many great performances from him on a grass court, but I definitely think he has the game to, to succeed on grass. Back onto Lajovic, and I think, you know, we have to we have to give a lot of praise to him. His career high is 23 in the world. He's now 27. And at 30 years old, you know, he's probably got a few years left of his peak to, to definitely push that. Um, but onto the last player that we're going to mention in Rotterdam, and that's Andy Murray. Um, he had a tough week you know he had to battle it deep into a third set to beat Robin Harse, the other Dutch wildcard in the first round and then put up a decent showing against Andre Rublev losing 7-5-6-2 um, there was typical fighter Murray points in both matches and and uh, in, in his sort of interviews after after the matches he seems to be in good spirits and believing that he's on the right track physically um, and in his performances on the court. So, yeah, no no player in singles has come back from the operations that he has had. So, of course, we've had to readjust our uh, expectations accordingly. And, you know, it was an impressive week and definitely a step in the right direction. Yeah, I haven't got too much to say on that, to be honest. I think considering Rublev, the player that he is at the moment, um, on the sort of 250 500 circuit that we've seen since last year, um, to get seven games off of him, uh, considering Murray's sort of been playing down at the Challenger Tour and hasn't been looking, I wouldn't say he's been looking injured, but he hasn't really been looking physically amazing, obviously, compared to what we're seeing Murray, uh, we obviously with what we used to see Murray like, sorry, um. But yeah, you know, I, I think it's a very decent showing for him. As you say, it's all the, the key phrase that you said is readjusting our expectations. We can't expect him to to come back and be a top 10 player again and be challenging, um, you know, the, the top guys. I, it's too far. But, you know, if Murray seems happy with that, then, then that's great. He, he loves the sport. And um, I think I, I'll be pleased to, to see him do well. That concludes our take on the event in Rotterdam then for now. Um, we'll be back to react uh, to, to the result of that and, of course, Buenos Aires early next week. But let's land in South America for now. And there's only one player into the last four as we speak, and that's Albert Ramos Vinolas, a 33-year-old, very consistent player on a clay court, um, ranked at 46 
in the world now. And in the semi-final, he is going to face either Pablo Andahar or Francisco Thurundolo, who is not Juan Manuel Thurundolo, who won the tournament in Cordoba last week. His older brother, the 23-year-old Francisco, Michael shaking his head. I'm not sure whether he's going to, he's prepared for the confusion of uh, dealing with these two brothers in the future. I don't know if you've noticed, but I think they've swapped their images over on Flashgort. So I now don't know which one's which by looking at them. Uh, they yeah they they swapped the images. The guy that was the guy that won it is now the twenty. Oh, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. But yeah, so I'll let you carry on. I think they do look quite similar. You know, it is very obvious that they're brothers when you look at the pair of them. Anyway. Um, but Thurundolo, of, of course, has, has won five matches because at Buenos Aires, you had to win three matches to qualify, which seems pretty insane for me, considering it's a 250 tournament. Um, so, you know, he won his three matches in qualifying and then beat Federico Correa, who put him out of Cordoba the week before. So that w- would have been nice for him to get one over him. And then, of course, beat um, at Benoit Perry who's been a consistent feature in the top 30 of, of the men's game for a few years now. So that easily the best win of his career the world number 137 I expect him to be considerably higher than that maybe pushing it between 100 and 110 next week at least um, making his first quarter final on the ATP tour he uh, is facing Pablo Andahar who beat Juan Ignacio Londero and Gianluca Maggera and there's been some decent form from the 35 year old um, it has been a bit of a throwback you know we mentioned Jeremy Shardy in Rotterdam from Pablo Andahar this week so in some tennis that was, you know, you know, he was moving a lot better than we, we have seen him in, in recent years. He, he has had his problems with injuries. Um, but yeah, like I did in Rotterdam, I'm going to ask you to give your take on these these two players, their progress, their form this week without giving a, an outright prediction as the match is ongoing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm, we're a little bit used to this from Andahar. I feel like maybe every... Once or twice a year, he, he pops up in a clay court tournament and, and does quite well. Um, not that I'm, uh, you know, disregarding his achievements, um, but you know, I, it's a good performance from him for sure. But um, I'm, I'm not going to get sort of too carried away. Um, Londero is another player that has sort of failed to impress this year. He's he's got a title on. Uh, Clay Court before winning Cordoba, um, but quite of recent, he hasn't looked brilliant. And Dahar obviously winning that match, and there's a good win against uh, Majer. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's hard to know. I haven't seen Francisco Serendulo play, in fact, I haven't even seen his brother, uh, Juan Manuel play much. I saw a little some of the highlights of that final. Um, and it's very conf- it's very confusing which Serendolo is doing what at the moment. I kind of I'm just hoping that one of them enters the top 100 and goes forward, and maybe the other one can just sort of stand aside and just make it uh, easier for us. But I guess over the next few weeks we'll uh, distinguish them a little bit more. But um, yeah, it looks like uh, Serendolo is going to win this second set and take it to a, a third set possibly. Um, so yeah, making sort of a a really good match there. Um, you would have to put Albert Ramos as favourite against uh, the winner of this match, but facing Pablo Andahar, uh, both being compatriots, make, makes it quite interesting. Ramos obviously dropping the set today against Summit Nagal, who's had a, a very impressive week. You know, not a player that I know a lot about, but beating the second seed and my tip to win it, Christian Garin in straight sets, is, is very impressive. So, 
Yeah, I, I would um, think a Ramos Anderhal semi final would be a, a really enticing one. Um, Thurundalo, I, I can't really say a lot on, to be honest. Yeah, I'm definitely sure. I feel very sure that we're going to have to learn a lot more about these two players as the season progresses. Thur- Thurundalo, the player that had definitely cropped up on my radar a lot more than Juan Manuel. Um, obviously, Juan Manuel had, had not played an ATP Tour match in, until last week. So, yeah, Francisco definitely trying to steal his fair share of the headlines this week. Moving into the other half of the draw, um, there's another match uh, which is um, between two players of the same country, this time Serbia. You've got Laszlo Jere, who's flattered to deceive a little bit after showing some impressive wins, particularly on a clay court um, in the last couple of years. He beat Marco Cecchinato and Federico Del Bonis this week. And he'll face Miamir Kecmanovic, the 21-year-old player who has sort of fallen away a little bit. He had a quite a poor back end to 2020. He did win the title in Kitzbühel, but there was little outside of that. Um, and has started the year quite slowly. So it's been good for the 21-year-old to get a couple of wins under his belt this week. And uh, hopefully he can push deeper in this tournament. But the next quarterfinal is an interesting one between the top seed Diego Schwartzman and Jaume Munar, who I think most deservedly will probably break into the top 100. He has been there before in his career, but after his performance this week, um, he's, he's had five wins already in Buenos Aires in qualifying be Alvarez, Baez, Altmaier, um, which is a interest, a very good win. Altmaier had a decent run at the French Open last year and then went on to beat a wild card in the first round and Francis Tiafo in the second. Of course, you must be um, a, a little bit smug with your anon- anonymous qualifier prediction to the quarterfinal coming off in the form of Jaume Munar. Um, but I also want to ask you now, do you think, I mean, it's, it's an easy easy choice to make but uh Diego Schwartzman will win the tournament with uh with your pick Christian Garin of course going out uh, I'm not sure I think I was very lucky uh to get Munar as the qualifier that was qualified to um he's having a you know he hasn't really had that challenging matches yet I think TFO obviously is a high-ranked player but he's not so much a clay quarter right? but I I'll throw it out there. I, I reckon Munar could beat Schwartzman in the quarterfinal. We saw Schwartzman uh, go out last week to, let me just remind myself, uh, go out to Alba Ramos last week. Obviously, Ramos, uh, probably a, a more accomplished, well, definitely a more accomplished player on a clay court than Munar. But these sorts of clay court 250s throw up a lot of surprising results. And I, I feel that Munar to beat Schwartzman is definitely one that I, I can see happening. Um, obviously, a Schwartzman plays to the best of his abilities on a clay court, he'll win quite comfortably because he's a fantastic clay court player. Um, but perhaps just haven't seen him in the form yet that uh, we're, we're used to seeing in him. Um, and, and the other match uh, that you mentioned, Kekmanovic Jere, is, is also really interesting. I'm not sure who's going to win this one. Um, it's quite a 50 50 in my eyes. I wouldn't want to put a name on it. I think they both won titles on clay, I believe. Um, Jerry winning one, possibly in Rio de Janeiro, possibly. Um, and I know Ketchmanovic has won, won one. Um, but yeah, I, I think this tournament could really be anyone's. Um, it's so often the way with the clay court tournaments. You, you get sort of clay court specialist players popping up. But 
it's really hard to distinguish. It's rare that someone consistently wins the clay court titles. In fact, Garin is one of the few sort of players I can remember being very, very consistent at this level on clay, which is why I picked him to win the tournament and, and letting me down in, in straight sets to Summit Nagal. So um, it, it's really hard to call a, a winner from this. I will go, if I'm going to put, I'm going to make a prediction for who's going to win it. I will play it safe and go for the first player in the semi-final and say that Albert Ramos will win it. But I would uh, definitely give the winner of Jere Kecmanovic a very good shout as well. Yeah, nice and open, um, as it usually is in the, in the South American clay tournaments. Just one more name I wanted to shout out. It's not a player that I was very familiar with before this tour uh, event, and it's the world number 291, the Slovakian player Lukas Klein. He's actually only 22 years old, and he won four matches in Buenos Aires this week. The ones that stand out, Thiago Saboff wild in uh, qualifying and then beating Andre Martin in, in the first round, his compatriots. a decent win against a... A, a clay court specialist who's who's on the verge of the top 100 and then um yeah you know didn't didn't disgrace himself either in, in a loss to Diego Schwarzman so maybe a player that in this sort of type of event we could see a little bit more from in the future and obviously the other name I had written down as you have mentioned has been Solit Nagal uh, this week the Indian player is currently ranked 150 and uh yeah made made the quarterfinals so he should see a nice little boost up the rankings come next week um that's all that's all i've got on uh buenos aires um so yeah we, we look forward to the closing exchanges of those tournaments obviously a bit unclear as to how they will look um but yeah no i will definitely be looking forward to those finals over the weekends on on sunday and then on to uh, the more tournaments as i'm sure the relentless pace of the tour will continue but to finish off this episode michael has prepared a guest the player Yeah, uh, it's my favourite part of the pod. Uh, guess the player this week, Marcus, I thought was slightly harsh on me last week, uh, or, or last episode, I should say, with Yuri Vesely. Um, I feel like I've, I've got a, a hard one, I reckon. I don't think it'll be easy. I have written more than five clues, um, so we'll just go through until you get it. Um, but yeah, so the first clue I've got, if you know this, then you've got it on the first one. Uh, I won back-to-back ATP Tour titles in Sydney in 2015 and then 2016. So won the uh, ATP Tour title in Sydney two years running. And Marcus looks like he might know. No, he doesn't. Uh, Goody shaky. To... <laughs> I saw the little smirk the and I thought I, I thought I might have given you the, the wrong clue first. No, um... When you said Sydney, Tennis Sangren instantly popped into my head as I think he might have won that, or maybe it's a Brisbane, Adelaide, another tournament in that sort of, well, in Australia, not 100% sure, but 2016, five years ago, I think that was before Sangren had really emerged. Um, so I'll keep him up my sleeve, but not really sure who to go for. Um, I'm going to go for Gail Monfils. Uh, good guess, good guess, uh, but not uh, Gail Monfils. Uh, second clue, my career high is 12. Okay, that's interesting. That gives me a bit more to go on. 
Fabio Fonini. Again, good guess. Uh, probably about right with the ranking, but uh, not Fabio Fonini. Um, third clue. I am a five-time slam fourth rounder, but I've never been in a quarterfinal. I made three fourth rounds at the French Open and two at Wimbledon. Okay, and that's their best form in a slam. Yeah, uh, never been further than a fourth round, but has been to a fourth round five times. Okay, so probably a little bit of an underachiever. It's it's a tricky one again, really. Three clues in, I'm, I don't feel like I'm getting very close to it. Um, 2015 and 16 is quite a long time ago. So it could be a complete name that I would never have really thought of sort of today. Let's go for Pablo Carreno Buster. Again, probably not a, a bad guess. Although, no, Karana Buster's been semi final. Yeah, that, US Open. It? He's been good at US yeah. Opens. Yeah, I don't know why. I, I think he's, that. yeah. But hey, other than that, it, it was probably a good guess in terms of ranking. Um, I'll give you this clue, probably won't, well, it, it definitely won't give it to you, but it might give you a bit more of an indication of sort of uh, the age bracket we're talking about. Uh, I won my first of three ATP titles. So the other two obviously being the ones in Sydney. I won my first of three ATP tour titles in 2010 at the Kremlin Cup, uh, which is a 250 tournament in Russia. <laughs> so at least right. it tells you that they were, tells you that they were playing well in 2010, which kind of, um, I think you were maybe already on that sort of path, but. Right. Um, Blimey. I've got to really harp, harp back a little bit. A 2010 title and then titles in 2015 and 16. But generally, they could not be... They could have achieved this career high of 12 in the middle or after, you know, titles doesn't necessarily correlate to when they were right at their peak. It's probably not a player that's been that uh, awesome. I am going to go for... Nicholas Mahu. Yeah, I don't know if he's been as high as 12, but um, yeah, probably not a bad guess. Uh, not Nicholas Mahu. Um, again, I, I don't know if this one's going to help you, but why not? I enjoy torturing you. Um, we'll go for, uh, I qualified for the Australian Open this year, but I lost in the first round to Michael Mo. if you remember that match. Yeah, I've got it. I thought got it. His, yeah, I'm pretty sure, pretty certain on this one. I think I remember this in the draw, which is what's given it away. I th- I'm pretty sure this this matches up career high about twelve seems about that. And yeah, what a dis- disappointment this player become. He uh, was early, that he was pretty good. I'm pretty certain in saying Victor Troitsky is the answer. Correct. Very well worked out. I think. Um... I mean, you say, are you saying he peaked quite early in his career? In fairness to him, I, I don't like his age, which I was going to give you, is 35. So, bearing in mind those titles in Sydney, when he got one in 2016, he would have been 30. I, I don't know. Um, I was going to give you the clue 
I don't know if you would have got it from this, but I was going to say at Wimbledon, uh, I notably snatched a ball off an umpire, uh, off of a ball boy, took it up to the umpire, screamed at the umpire to say, look at the ball, there's no white on it, because he'd given a, an ace for Albert Ramos. And then I smashed the ball out of the stadium and then I lost the match a point later. I don't know if you remember that one, but uh, he had a bit of a, it's a brilliant one. If no one's seen it, look it up on YouTube, Victor Troisky outburst. It's one of the most, it's up there with the uh, Carreño Buster outburst at the Australian Open a few years ago. It's um, quite, it's not even something you'd expect from Nick Kyrgios, to be honest. Um, but yeah, a bit of a hothead on court, Victor Troisky. Um, I thought of doing him uh, as the um, guest player when he lost to, I uh, can't remember his name, someone in their challenger tournament this week, a uh, Chinese player, I think. Um, oh, Wu so, Tong Ling. Well, yeah, Wu that's Tung it. Uh, I think Chinese Taipei, yeah. So, um, yeah, but, um, you know, he's, he's had a good career. To, to only win three titles, but managed to get to 12th in the world, I think is quite impressive. Um Obviously, always in the shadow of his compatriot, uh, Novak Djokovic. And perhaps Dusan Lajevic is now the sort of new Viktor Troisky in terms of being the, the understudy to Djokovic. Yeah, I think when I when I say he didn't really well find, find that form again, I think I'm more talking, focusing probably too much on ranking. Obviously, he won those two titles afterwards. Um, but yeah, in his early 20s, he was... He was around yeah, 12, 13 in the ranking, so maybe it didn't materialise as much as we thought it might have done. I think he would be very disappointed. Well, I mean, he's not going to do it now. He'd be very dif- disappointed he never made a slam quarterfinal because I think we can both say there's much, much worse players that have made slam quarterfinals than Victor Troisky. I think when he was sort of at the high... I mean, I've seen him play quite a bit and I think he's a, he's a quite a talented player. So I think... Yeah, he, he probably would be a little bit gutted when you think of, I'm not going to name anyone, but there's a few names that come into head that have been in sort of a Grand Slam quarterfinal and you do sort of wonder what they're doing there. Yeah, of course. So, um, Victor Troitsky, a very interesting guest of player. Bit of a throwback, just like Jeremy Shardy this week, just like Albert, Roma, Albert Ramos and Pablo and the Har to an extent this week. Um, but yeah, and Nishikori, that... don't forget Nishikori. Of course, yeah. And Kane Ishikori. That brings us to the end of this episode. Um, I've I've been Marcus Ali. I uh, hope you've in, enjoyed the uh, episode. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll be back at the start of next week. Remember to stay safe.